Matthew 6, verse 1 through 4. It's on the screen if you don't have it. It says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. God, we thank you for your word today. I pray that you speak to our hearts, give us an ear to hear and a heart to receive everything that you have for us in Jesus. Amen and amen. You can be seated this morning. And we're definitely glad that you're here. As I, as I said earlier, we've been over the last five weeks, this is actually week number six of this particular series, Holy Habits. We started this the first week of the year talking about uh, the importance of daily Bible study, getting in the Word of God. And so uh, those of you who are on some type of systematic daily plan to read your Scripture, uh, I hope that you're being successful. I'm on some of you guys' plan on the Bible, Bible app, and I get notifications when you check through that, So as you probably do with mine. So I, I'm excited for you to do that. I just want to give you some encouragement. If you get hung up in Leviticus or Deuteronomy, just hold on. It does get better. Amen. And so all of my Bible readers know what I'm talking about. So sometimes it's, it's hard to drudge through those things, but God put those in there for a reason. And so just hold on. Uh, also, we went on right after that, and we talked about fasting, the importance of fasting, how to fast, what a biblical fast is, and we launched off with 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church, and we had prayer on Monday nights, it was phenomenal, it was well attended, and uh, we, we focused on that. Uh, then we talked about prayer, what does prayer look like, what are some principles to prayer, how to hear God's voice, uh, things of that nature, uh, and then the week after that, week number uh, four, I think it was, we kicked off on the importance of uh, becoming a part of the church, some assembly required. I shared the story about the Legos, how outside the box of a Lego, there's this beautiful design, whether or not it's a, a, an aircraft or a fire truck or whatever, but when your children buy those, uh, what you pour out in the floor on the Christmas morning is not what you see on the box. It's potential, but it's not intact. So there's some assembly required. That's what we talked about on week four, Last week we talked about unlocking or unleashing the power of your praise and having daily life of giving praise to God. I don't know about you, but every day you at least ought to say, praise the Lord, amen, and have that in your vocabulary. This week I want to talk to you about something slightly different. I want to talk to you about understanding the joy of generosity. Understanding the joy of generosity. There's an old riddle. And I'm sure you've heard this riddle before, but it, it, it just kind of sounds like this. It says, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody is around to hear it, does it still make a sound? If a tree falls in the woods and there's nobody around to hear it, does it still make a sound? The resounding answer to that is yes, it does. Because when trees fall, they make noise. That's the law of nature, and God designed it that way. But that typical analogy right there may not translate well to us, so I'm going to put it in 21st century uh, vernacular for you, okay? Rather than saying, if a tree falls in the woods when nobody can see it, does it make a sound? 
I'm going to put it to you in a way that uh, we all can understand it. You ready? All right. Pull your feet in. Let's just take a breath for a second. Here we go. If it's not posted on social media, did it really happen? If a TikTok video is not made, if an Instagram reel is not shared, did it really happen? And here's the thing, folks. The answer is yes. Um, There was something that we saw recently in the news as of this week. I don't know if you followed this. It wasn't a major headline or anything, but I get it on various news feeds. There's a social media influencer, very popular. It's a young man, uh, actually a very, very young man. He's in his early 20s. His his handle that he goes by is uh, Mr. Beast. He's a YouTube sensation. Anybody ever heard of Mr. Beast before? All our young people, I'm sure, but if you never heard of him, Listen, I don't know how you haven't. This guy is like 25 years old. He made $54 million last year just for posting YouTube videos. Come on, somebody. Who, who's going home and buying a camera, right? I mean, you know, $54 million bucks just for posting YouTube videos. He's got over 131 million subscribers on the YouTube platform. But uh, Mr. Beast made the headlines this week because of something um, very nice that he did. And, and I understand both sides of the equation. This morning, I'm not, I'm not here to plaster him. I actually really love what he did, but I also see both sides of it. But, but because it's socially relevant, I, I want to share it with you today. Uh, Mr. Beast is known for doing uh, random acts of kindness to strangers and things of that nature. Um, and so what happened was there were a thousand people who were clinically blind, legally blind, because of cataracts and cloudiness of their lenses or whatever. And so uh, Mr. Beast, I don't know how he found all of these people, whether there was an application process or something, but he paid for over a thousand people to get surgery. And all thousand of these people, after they had this corrective surgery, their sight was restored. Now, I don't know about you, I think that's pretty cool. The, what, the part, though, that got him in trouble was that he filmed all of it and then put it on the internet. And the people who are not even Christians, the world, secular media, they said that such an act of kindness should not have been accompanied with exploitation. This is not Christian folks saying this. This isn't the church saying this. This is secular media who has come under fire, this, this person, because this wasn't the only thing, and he's not the only one. It's just the one that was in the news this week. Because even the world understands that when you do things for the less fortunate and you do things for the poor, you should not do so for personal gain, for personal recognition, and you certainly shouldn't do so and exploit them in the process. And so I think that you and I can learn something out of this because in this new year, God wants his people to be generous. Now, I want you to to take a deep breath and let out a sigh today. This message is not about tithing, not not even related to offerings. This message today is about living a generous life to those around you, in your community, in your circles, to those who God helps to cross your path, that you can be a blessing to somehow, some way. God wants his people to be generous. There are a lot of people, there was a a man 
that I'm real good friends with, he pastors in Alexandria, he pastored in Alexandria, Louisiana. It was a, there was a man who, um, he was a very stingy man. He never gave. He never gave to the church or anything. And uh, all the time, he would bring needs to his pastor. He said, Pastor, I think the church needs to pay for this. And so there were several times that he, he let it go by. And finally, Pastor Hankins, he had enough of it. And the man said, I think the church needs to pay for this. And they were passing through a hallway uh, along the corridor of the church. He took the man by the shoulders, turned him around to a mirror that was in the hallway and said, I would like to introduce you to the church. Come on, somebody. We like to say we're the church by ourselves when it benefits us. But the truth is we're a part of God's body anywhere that we go. We represent him. We represent his character. We represent his nature. We should represent his attributes. The fruits of the Holy Spirit should be in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, meekness, gentleness, temperance. All of those things should be manifesting in our lives no matter where we are. And if we are truly living like Jesus, we live with the understanding that there's a joy to be generous. There's a joy to be generous. And so I want you to see that in the text of, of Matthew's gospel, chapter number 6. Turn back over there with me, and I want to I look at this today. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, he says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you do a charitable deed, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you himself openly. Uh, the context of Matthew 6 is on the heels of the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is telling them, Blessed is the poor in Spirit, for they shall see the kingdom of God. Blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. Jesus is giving his disciples what is termed as the Olivet Discourse. He's, he's laying out for them these, these beatitudes, these attitudes that they should have as believers. And then now what we see is that rolling into Matthew's gospel in chapter number 6, he's, he's telling them some things that they should warn themselves against. Some of these we've already covered. He said, when you fast, don't, don't put on a, a, a froward face and, and, and all of those things. He says, wash yourself, anoint yourself, go about your day. Don't, you don't have to tell everybody that you're fasting and, and all of those things. He said, you need to do it in secret. And, and if you do it in secret, God will reward you openly. Okay? Then he goes on and he says... Um, Whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who pray on the street corners loud so they think that they're heard for their many words, but rather go in your closet and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. Now, over those two particular messages that were in Matthew's Gospel chapter 6, there was a commonality in all of them. Here it is. The, the, the one thing that I told you was this, was that when Jesus was warning them about what they do in public and in private, there, were, there was context surrounding this. Uh, in other words, um, there is scriptural times where the church or even Israel in the Old Testament, they went on a corporate fast. That means it was announced, but it was announced within the body. 
They, they didn't tell everybody at work and everything else. There were times of corporate prayer where they prayed together in unity, in unison, in the Old and the New Testament. But what Jesus is dealing with in both places is hypocrisy. So he's not saying there's never a time to, to uh, pray in public. He's not saying there's never not a time to fast in, in a corporate setting. And the same principle falls right here. Uh, in fact, this is an often misapplied scripture for many people. Many people I've known throughout the years who I've counseled with and I've talked to uh, just in pastoral ministry who have had a, they've had a big aversion to being accountable with their giving. They say things like this, well, I'm not going to write anything on the envelope or whatever because I'm not supposed to let my right hand know what my left hand is doing. Well, that's not the context of the Scripture. Uh, in the Scripture, what we see is that the tithe in the form of the goat and whatever else was brought in the Old Testament, that was very a public transfer. When they came in the synagogue, that was a public transfer and they gave in the offering box. It wasn't secret. What Jesus is dealing with right here is dealing with a different type of giving. And I want to prove it to you because we have a scriptural example in both the Old and the New Testament that it's okay to sometimes in certain contexts be open with your giving. Let me give you an example. First Chronicles chapter 29. This scripture is not in your notes, but I jotted these down this morning. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1 through 5. King David was actually tasked with um, helping raise these funds for the temple. Now, I want to read this to you. And uh, this is awesome here. And I want to show you what David says. First Chronicles 29, verse 1. Furthermore, King David said to all of the assembly. Somebody say, all of the assembly. My son Solomon, whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now for the house of uh, my God I have prepared, David was a prepared giver, he said, I have prepared with all of my might, gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things of made to silver, bronze for things made of bronze, iron for things of iron, wood of things for wood, stones uh, to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones and marble slabs in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house in my own special treasures of gold and silver. David said, I got so happy when I started giving to the work of God, I didn't know where to stop. He said, I took my own gold, my own silver, my own everything, and I started getting it together. And then he tells us, it was 3,000 talents of gold, and the gold of, uh, of Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the house. I'm going somewhere. The gold for things of gold, the silver of things of silver, and for all types of work to be done, uh, hands of craftsmen. Then no, notice what he says here. He says, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord. And then uh, the next verse says that then the leaders of the father's house, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of the, the thousands of the hundreds with the officers over the king's worth, uh, work offered willingly. So David declared his giving. In other words, there's a time, an appropriate time to tell people we've got a project whether it's to build a church or to do a missions project or something, David said, 
uh, it, the scripture says it's appropriate to say at David as the leader of Israel, I've given this much, what are you going to do? That's appropriate. What that's called is leading by example. But this offering was not for the poor. Ananias and Sapphira's offering was not necessarily for the poor. And they gave an account that was a lie in front of the apostle, and they ended up dying because of deceitfulness to the Holy Spirit. So all of this, I'm not supposed to ever tell anybody what I give stuff, is not biblical. However, listen to this. There is a time that we're speaking of right here that when you give to the poor, you need to keep it to yourself. You don't need to tell people about it because God loves the poor, first of all. He loves the poor. He helps the poor. He's close to the poor. But beside that, God's will is never to exploit the less fortunate. His, his goal is to help them. But I want to share with you from Matthew chapter 6 some insight that the Lord God gives us as it relates to generosity. Because I believe that when you learn the joy of generosity, God always makes sure that you have what you need. He always makes sure that you have what you need. If you're taking notes, number one, if you write this down, I want to talk to you about the motive of our generosity. The motive of our generosity. That's found in that first verse. Notice here, he says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men. If you're a note taker, if you're an underliner or a highlighter, I want you to underline the phrase charitable deeds. I, I know the IRS calls uh, giving to, to the local church, tithe and offering, charitable contributions, but that's really just a legality terminology. Giving to the church is not uh, charitable. Amen. Are y'all with me this morning? I don't care what the IRS says. The church is not impoverished. We are God's organization. Tithe is a Christian's responsibility. But, but he's dealing with here specifically charitable giving. Uh, in other words, there are three main types of giving. Some would say four. First fruit, tithe, offering, and alms. Okay? Alms is always giving to the poor. That's giving to people that cannot help you. You're giving to people who cannot return the favor. You're giving to people whom you are not expecting anything from them. Jesus, when he's talking about your charitable deeds, he's talking about that type of almsgiving right there. He said, he said, make sure that when you're doing this, you do it with the right motive. So, let's look at this. Charitable giving, the word charitable, it speaks directly of helping those who were in hard times or those who are less fortunate. And so we're told to take heed, which means to use caution. Because today we live in a society where nothing seems to be able to happen that is not posted about, bragged about, put on social media. Um, you know, the scripture says, let another man praise you, not your own lips. So if you do something good, and somebody sees it. Let them brag on you. Let them tell it. But here's the thing. When we step out and we exalt our good works, the Bible says, then we step out of a realm of allowing God to bless us. 
and we step into a realm of having the blessing and the applause of men. So, he speaks directly here of helping those who were in hard times or those who are less fortunate. See, we're to make sure that when we're helping, we're doing it for the right reason. Church, let me tell you something. We're in 2023. The world hates the church more than ever. Absolutely, if that's even a word. They hate the church more than ever. You don't understand. I, I see things on social media all the time because I try to keep up with it. And I see, I see preachers post clips and, and things of that nature. And if you read through the comments, all you hear over and over again, over and over again, is tax the church, tax the church, tax the church. Listen, the world has an agenda against the church. But I've got a question for you. This is going to hurt a little bit, and I don't mean it to sting, but it's something we all need to be faced in reality. People talk about, I sure wish I lived in Bible days. You are living in Bible days. They're called the last days. Amen. (laughs) They're the last days. And listen, there are a whole lot of people who like to give to charity and give to churches and things of that nature, but I got a question for you. And I don't mean this this to hurt. All of us need to answer this question. What is our motive for our generosity? What would happen to churches across America if our nonprofit 501c3 status was pulled by the government, which, by the way, they're always coming after that, and you didn't get a tax credit for your large gift, would you still give? It's something we have to think about. Which, by the way, government-sanctioned charitable giving is not something that's worldwide. Christians all over the place give, and they don't get anything for it from the government. So the question is, we got to, the, we, is this okay this morning? This is real pastoral. I'm saying, I'm saying the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver, so if you're going to give to people or whatever, you might as well make sure your motive is right we got to make sure that our heart is to please God and not to be seen by men, right? We've got to make sure that our heart's to be pleasing to God and not to be seen by men. All right, let's move on here for a second. The second thing I want to talk about this morning is not just the motive of our generosity, but the mode of our generosity, or you could say the method of our generosity. Notice here, look in our passage, verse 2, Jesus said, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So, stop right there. Jesus then is telling us the mode or the method of our generosity. And we are told very specifically what we're not to do. And we're told very specifically what we are to do. So, let me give you some insight of what this looked like in Bible days. In the synagogue, because Jesus mentions the synagogue right here. Um, He says, when you do a charitable gift, don't be like the hypocrites who blast a trumpet before them in the synagogue. Now, in the Bible days, 
uh, a trumpet most all the time in the Old and New Testament. They, there were brass trumpets, but most of the time they rep- represented the ram's horn. Um, so we, we talk about the blast of a trumpet. So, but that's even really not what he's talking about here because nobody walks around in the synagogue when they're giving and just blast trumpets, right? It'd be out of place, it'd be kind of weird. So what are, they, what are they talking about here? In the synagogue, when you would go in to worship God, there would be sometimes upward of, of 13 different individual boxes. So think about our offering boxes in the back of the sanctuary. There'd be sometimes 13 different ones. One would be for this, and one would be for that, and the other one would be tithe, and one would be for the poor, one would be for the, you know, whatever feast they were celebrating. So sometimes history says there would be up to 13 different boxes. And these boxes, some would be inside, some would be at the, at the corridor on the entrance, and those boxes were, were boxes, but they had a mouth that was narrow at the bottom, and it came up like this. And so there was kind of like a bowl, and then it would come down, and it would filter down through here like this. And the reason that was like that was so that people could not reach their hand down into the box and steal. That was the purpose. Now, Jesus said, don't be like the synagogues who blow the trumpet in the synagogue when they give. Now, you ready for this? What was he talking about? The mouth of that particular offering box was called a trumpet. And when you took coins, you could place them in there discreetly, or you could be like the Pharisees and make a lot of noise when they came in. Do you know the story when Jesus told about the woman who gave her widow's might? The Bible says Jesus was standing at the back opposite of the treasury, and He was watching at what people gave. Do you know, even if you don't write anything down, Jesus sees what you give? You can't fool Him. The Bible says He observed how the rich came in and cast their coins. The Pharisees would come in and say, look at me! And they would make a bunch of noise, clinkety-clank-clank-clank-clank-clank, and here this woman, she just slowly came over and she put her coin in there. And Jesus said, you see that woman? She has given more than them because Jesus, when He measures generosity, He doesn't look at how much you gave. He looks at how much it hurt. Let me say that again. He doesn't look at how much we gave. He looked at how much it hurt. The woman who all she had was a coin, she had a bigger sacrifice. And Jesus said, I'm going to tell her story from here on out through eternity because of this woman's obedience. Now, look, look at what Jesus said. When we give, we're not supposed to do that. Now, we don't have offering boxes with big mouths in the, out of the synagogue and people don't throw stuff in there like they did in Bible days. So how does this translate today? Very simple. It's really too simple. Some people still don't get it. Whenever you do something to help somebody, you don't have to tell everybody about it. If you pay for somebody's groceries that's behind you at Walmart, praise God for that. 
If you truly were led of the Holy Spirit, and that's what God puts you to do, then praise God for that. But please, for the love of Jesus, don't step out in front of them and take a selfie and put it on Facebook. Surely don't do one wearing one of our church t-shirts. You can wear the, some other church. Don't wear ours. Jesus said when you do that, the attaboy you get from people is about all you're getting. And you say, Pastor, people don't do that. Yes, they do. They sure do. I'm going to take you back to my original question I asked at the very beginning. If a tree falls in the woods and nobody's around to hear it, does it still make a sound? I'm going to give you the translation of that one more time. If it's not posted on social media, does it really happen? Yes. All goes back to our motives and our means. So Jesus wants us to do that. You know, if you're going to pay for somebody's meal in a restaurant, do it discreetly and slip out. If you're going to do something of that nature to help somebody, let it be from the right heart. Let it be from the right heart. Those that were wanting recognition, they would harshly throw their coins in, making a noise, ultimately bringing attention to themselves. When we bring attention to ourselves, there's no blessing that comes from it. But when we bring attention to the Lord, that's when the blessing comes. So what did Jesus say? He said, be so discreet about your helping the poor. Don't even let... Now listen, these are our two arms, right? They're always in proximity. Jesus is using an, a, a, a parable of teaching here, and this is what he said. He said, it's something as close as your hands. He said, whenever you help somebody, don't let the left hand know what your right hand is doing. Jesus is saying, be discreet about it. The mode of our generosity is to be discreet and not for selfish ambition. Again, I'm not picking on the media mogul who did this very generous thing, one of many generous things that he did. But the critique was that he did it, he put it out there, and ultimately made more money off of it. That's called exploitation. Exploitation is when you make profit off of somebody unlawfully or unwillfully. That's why it's called child exploitation. When somebody gets into the vile industry of trafficking children, it's ex ex exploiting. You can exploit the poor when you benefit off of them. Here's the truth. When people need help, I mean when they really need help, most of the time they already feel pretty bad enough. And what I found, my own personal experience, this is not true 100% of the time, but my own personal experience is a lot of times people that really, really need help usually are the ones who don't ask for it. That's why we need to be led of the Holy Spirit. When God leads you to do something to bless somebody, bless their socks off. Just don't. 
by it. Here's number three. I want to look at the manifestation of our generosity. The manifestation of our generosity. Go back to our text, Matthew chapter 6. Verse number three, he said, But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Talking about the manifestation of your generosity, here's what I want you to know. When you give for the right reasons, God will bless you. When you give for the right reasons, not out of compulsion, not out of manipulation, not out of coercion, but when you give for the right reasons, God will bless you. Don't announce it to the world. Don't do it to be seen. But let God see what you do. Because here's the thing, folks. Nobody can bless you like the Lord. Some of you are perhaps too young to remember this. Some of you will remember exactly, but I I was a teenager when I lived through this national crisis on the news. Anybody familiar with the term Enron? Enron was a big scandal with all of the the, uh, 401k and investment stuff and all of that. People lost everything. It was terrible. See, A lot of people were living their life banking on that retirement to be there when they retired. There are people who bank on their jobs. They're just working their job and all their trust and hope is in that job. And Well, you know, people lose jobs every day. Companies go through hard times. Companies can't pay. Somebody's got to get cut. Things like that happen. It's real talk. It's real world. We find out quickly that our retirement plan's not our source. Your job's not your source. We say, well, pastor, that's what pays my bills. No, it's a resource. Resource. God is the source. No, you don't understand. God is the source. Not, not what you have. Not what you have the ability to create with your hands. God is your source. One of the most encouraging things to me in the Old Testament is in the story of Elijah the prophet. Elijah's doing what God's called him to do and, and everything, and, and God leads him beside a brook. This brook, he's getting water, he's getting sustenance, he's getting rest. And the Bible says that God commanded the ravens to feed him. Meat in the morning and meet in the evening. Ravens, not doves. Ravens are dirty birds. According to the law, uh, Israel was not to eat an unclean bird or anything like that. But God used a source that was unlikely as a resource to feed the man of God. So listen, when that dried up, God sent him to a widow woman at Zarephath. Listen, no matter what you feel like you're stuck with right now, it is not your source. Christians do not make a living by our paycheck. We make a living by our giving. When we are generous, 
towards God and we put him first and we put the needy first and those things. Listen, when you live an open-handed life, God allows things to come back to you. I'm not, I'm not preaching some get-rich-quick thing today. I'm telling, talking about stewardship. When God puts things in your hands, therefore a purpose. I want you to look at Psalm 41, verse 1 with me. It's on the screen. Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him. Put that scripture up. In the time of trouble. Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in the time of trouble. Here's what God says. When you look out for the less fortunate, when you bless, when I lead you to bless, then I'm going to look out for you. I'm going to deliver you. Time of trouble. Now I want to stop right here. Because everybody who says they are poor doesn't mean they're poor. Now this is one of the hardest things that we have to wrestle with sometimes as a church, as we get requests for help, as individuals who get requests for help. There, there is a fine line. You have to understand this. There's a fine line between enabling people to continue in bad patterns and helping people with a hand up, not a hand out. There's a very fine line. But that's why we are trust the Holy Spirit to lead us in what we do. There are sometimes people ask me for something and I take it to prayer and I just don't feel peace about it. But when I feel the peace of God, I just, okay, Lord, you know. In some of those cases, it's like, Lord, you know, the devil tells you, well, what if they take this and they do this with it? You know, if you, if you are truly being led by the Lord, that's between them at that point. But when you consider the poor, the Lord will deliver you out of time of trouble. I want to read another scripture, Proverbs 19, verse 17. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. I don't know if you understand this verse, but what the Lord is trying to say to us here is that whenever you help genuinely from a right heart, you never lose that money. That's what it says. That's the book. When you, listen, when you have pity on the poor, you are lending to the Lord. He will pay back what he's given. Let me give you an example. Let's just say there's somebody that's truly, truly in need. They've gone hard on their luck. They've gotten evicted from their house. They've gone through some type of crisis and they're legitimately needy. And they're sitting outside in the freezing cold. And they're praying to themselves. People are walking by. They're judging them. People are walking by. They're making comments at them. People are, are turning their face from them at the red light or the stop sign at the underpass. They're making vulgar comments. You know, hey, go get a job or whatever. You know, I understand logic to some of that. But you also never understand what put a person in that position to start with. So you've got to understand this. That person could legitimately be sitting there praying, God, if you're real. God, if you're real, I need you to help me. But if you don't come through for me today, I'm going to blow my brains out. And then all of a sudden, 
Holy Spirit prompts you. See that person right there? You know that $100 bill you got stuck behind your driver's license that you were just going to spend at the movie theater anyway? Give it. See, the Lord works through people. People. He doesn't rain cars down out of the sky. We've already found out that our government wouldn't shoot a balloon down because they didn't want the pieces to hit nobody. Come on, somebody. So if, so if we can't drop pieces of a satellite from the sky, the Lord is not raining down Cadillacs and RVs and, and, and bags of money. Amen. That's not how it works. He could do it. He's more than able to do it. But that's not how he's chosen to work. He chooses to work through people. And listen, when the Lord learns, he already knows. Every time the Lord speaks to you about something, it's a test. Seriously. Every time the Lord speaks to you and, 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 and puts something in your heart to do, it's a test. And we either pass or fail that test. He oftentimes tests us with small things. Hey, do this. Talk to this person. Do that. Sometimes we say, oh, no, Lord, not me. You're not talking to me. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Mm-mm, not me. Well, you failed that test. And the Lord likely will not trust you with anything bigger. Because he who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. And he who is unfaithful with little will be unfaithful with much. But when the Lord learns that he can trust you. You see, God blesses some people and then they just keep it all to themselves. Seriously. They pray for a blessing, they get it, and they don't share it. And then they wonder why they're in worse shape than they were. But here's what I want to tell you. When you give to the poor, consider the poor. Not only will the Lord deliver you, the Bible says He will repay you. Here's what I found out. And I'm closing. If God finds out that He can trust you, there's no limit to what can pass through your hands. Seriously. I'm a living testimony of this fact. Not boasting on myself at all, but God has allowed me to do some crazy, insane projects that I'm only able to do because I've said yes to the small things. What I've found is that if you can't be faithful with a dollar, you won't be faithful with ten. And if you can't be faithful with ten, God won't be able to trust you with a hundred. And if he can't trust you with a hundred, he won't trust you with a thousand. And if he won't, you, you get the point this morning. If you can't be, but, but when you learn to be generous, again, please understand, I'm not talking about tithing, okay? That's basic elementary Christian stuff. It's not even debatable. I'm talking about your giving in your day-to-day life when needs are presented around you and God gives you an opportunity to be a blessing. You're living out a holy habit of generosity in your life. That could be buying the person's Coke behind you at Sonic. It could be, you know, blessing the family at Christmas. It could be, you know, helping out somebody with a light bill. Or, 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 or you see somebody on Wu-Town Review say, hey, I, I need help uh, moving today. Can somebody give me some boxes or, you know, whatever it might be. It's, it's, it's being generous, not just with our, with, our, with our treasures, but with our abilities. With whatever God has given us. And if you'll steward your, insurance, your, your influence, God will give you more influence. 
if you steward your resource, God will give you more resource. Because when God learns that he can trust you, he'll allow it to flow through you. You see, I believe that there are people in this room, God is simply looking for an opportunity to bless you greater. Make no mistake about it, no ushers are coming. I'm not asking you for a second offering. What I'm asking you to do is to be led of the Holy Spirit in every aspect of what He prompts you in your heart to do. It, it could be a $2 ask of God. God says, that person is short $2 at their cash register. Instead of letting them squirm around and look foolish, just step up and say, here's two bucks, don't worry about it. That $2 seed you planted in somebody else may release the miracle you need for your family. Because God works that way. So this morning, when encourage us all to live with the joy of generosity. Doing it for the right motive, not doing it to be seen, and allowing God to lead us in our everyday life. Because when you do it in secret, God will reward you openly. I want you to stand on your feet.